0: Okay, amazing. Let's get going here. All right, good afternoon. Um, so this week's Parsha is Parsha Vayechi. The last Parsha in Sefer Brashe. It's amazing that we're almost done. The first, uh, the first Sefer of the Torah. And before we start Vayechi, let's just keep moving along a little bit, learning the Tzirkes at Tzaddik. Last week, we began, we actually went back to the introduction, and we were going through some of Reb notes and his lifestyle and things that he wrote to help himself. And I'm in the next few, I'd like to open the floor. I need some people with experience over here to, um, to really help me understand this. So is very interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, thank you to our anonymous sponsor. Is it for a particular cause? Okay, so thank you so much to our anonymous sponsor, our anonymous sponsor. Um, and uh, it's greatly appreciated the Torah that we learn here and all the, the growth that we have should be ischus, um for you and um, whatever you had in mind with the, with the sponsorship, should have all the brachas that Torah has to offer. Um, okay, so we're up to um, number four. In Rav Tzaddik Hakayin's ksavim, in his writings, he says something interesting. He says, "Kol chalaya mumisos mikri other. He says anything that's an outside physical problem, besides for what's natural. Natural is things that we're born into. We know the number one cause of death is life, right? So. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what they found. They did studies, and they found, you know, that's the number one cause. It's gonna be a big, a big topic of, uh, of today, <laughs> yeah. And so, but, so Hashem gives us life, and, and he puts us into, he says, besides four, it says, the, the Chazal teach us, hakol Deshamayim, shamayim, everything is from Hashem. We have no control. Chutz mi tsinem is a gemara. Except for tsinem which means hot and cold, which means that we are actually responsible Outside of what Hashem puts into our individual mazel and nature, we're responsible for keeping ourselves healthy. This is what Rav Tzaddik writes in his notes. <laughs> You've got to be careful with what you eat. Okay, And again, what are we going through the notes that Rav Tzaddik was writing to himself? He says, uh, uh, a Ben Torah, uh, a Jew, a Torah, a Torah Jew needs to be careful with taking care of their health. He says, "I'm not dealing with, God forbid, a lion eats somebody, or a snake bites. We're not talking about an outside influ- an outside cause that Hashem, you know, brought on a person that has nothing to do with me. It's just something that happened in my life, in experience. That's onesu. That's an You know, There's abuse. There's things. there's are saying, okay, so it's something that's outside of our control, outside of my control. But he's writing to himself that his his health." HaKadosh Baruch who says he's responsible for I'm responsible to do what I can to take care of my health. Okay? That's his note. That's his fourth note. Now is his fifth note. Hey, I'm going to need some help with this. And if you have thoughts on the last one also, please feel free to hear. Never be afraid of holy things. Ella what should we be afraid of? We should be afraid of people that know to be careful around holy things. Even if a person is a holy person, can be a great Torah scholar. Be nervi- Don't be nervous. That's a better word for the translation. Don't be nervous around holy things. But be nervous around those who understand holy things. Don't be mm-hmm. nervous from a Dvarmakkoish, from something which is which a thing which is holy, Ella rather, me from a person, Shahiz here aladover, who knows to be careful around the holy things, even atomic.
1: Those are his words. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So what does it mean? I think we need to understand. I don't, I don't fully grasp. What does he mean to be, like, fearful of them? Maybe
1: it's like, well, I'm thinking about awe instead of fear that fear you would translate as fear, like, scared. Sure. But it's yeah. more like awe. And I was just thinking about the Kohel. I mean, we have a Savior Torah in the. Mm-hmm. and nobody seems to be particularly concerned about it. You know, it's there. And there's you know, a Torah sitting yeah, there, right. The next there. room over, right. Right, okay. But I mean, we you know there's a the conference in But like when Rabbi Frank walks in, there's a different feeling than the Torah that's just kind of sitting there. I mean, the people living, Very breathing. Interesting.
0: Very interesting. A living, breathing for it. I'll kind of, l- let me expand. There's a very interesting Gemara in Tractate Makos. The Gemara says, uh, in Aramaic, the words they use are, Hanitipshoi, these fools. talks about foolish people. The Gemara says, look at these fools, Shemekamei, for they stand up, Lefnei for Torah, in front of a Torah scroll. When a Torah scroll <laughs> comes by, they stand up. However, they don't stand up when a scholar walks by. And the Gemara says it's foolish. So what does it mean? It's fo- foolish means we're making a terrible mistake, and we kind of should know a little better. Okay, so what does that mean? So I once heard from my brother-in-law, Rabbi Friedman, who has a yeshiva and Eretz Yisrael. He said he I forgot who he was quoting. That the reason why the Gemara calls a person like that foolish is because it shows that the, that we don't grasp what Torah is and what a Torah person is. How so, as we've explained previously, the purpose of mankind is not to learn Torah. The purpose of Torah is for mankind. And therefore, it's foolish to stand up for, to respect a safer Torah, but don't respect Somebody who's making use of the purpose of a Sefer Torah. Because that's really the ultimate pinnacle of creation. The Sefer Torah, a person who makes use of that, and that's the purpose of the Sefer Torah, how much more so should you stand up? And I, that's a little bit of an expansion, kind of a proof to what you're saying. So according to your understanding, it's letting us know, don't be, a, don't be in awe st- strictly to the items of holiness, very interesting. But be in awe of those that utilize its purpose. Beautiful, very, yeah. How do you translate respect? respect
1: something that should be burned? Are you
0: are you talking like an American millennial or how are you asking I'm the not, question? Well, I'm just
1: saying if you know, there's a person you're supposed to be approved to, are you su you have to give them respect to I mean,
0: You should be mechabed as habrios. We're supposed to honor all of, a, all of Hashem's creation. The, the reason why I made that statement about whether you're saying respect like a millennial is because I'm like at the upper edge of that area, I believe. Uh, I don't know uh, where you get into that, but to just say that w- in, in the current American terms, respect does not mean the respect that we know of. Respect means accept. It's a, a, a big phrase nowadays is you have to respect people's opinions. No, you don't. No, you don't. Not in Judaism. You have to accept people's opinions, but I can't respect it if it's wrong. Re- when we, we know in Yiddishkeit that to respect something means I really respect you. Like you're on a pedestal. There, there's something there, and it's, I look up to it. I'm going to emulate that. That's kavod, that's and that's the respect we know of. In, in the American society, what we're used to now is when they say to respect me, respect my lifestyle, respect my opinion, they don't, but they, re- the, the, since unfortunately we don't really know how to respect each other in our society, it's more of acceptance. What the people mean is you have to, I can accept your opinion, and I can accept that you have an opinion, and it's a free world, but I can't respect Because to me, respect means I look up to it. It's you know, it's it's a, and that's part that's part of COVID. That's part of uh, that's part of COVID as well. Okay, but interesting. I think you do have to um, respect at least give the benefit of the doubt. Be down the kapsulus until people have lost it. I would say there's actually a fascinating uh, piece of advice that the Gemara gives us. Gemara says when you meet a new person two words you're supposed to you don't know who they are you respect them and suspect them so at the same time and it's not a hypocrisy you, you have to respect them I, I trust that you're a good person but I'm not giving you my pin number to my bank account right there's, a, there's respect and suspect. That's what i say. And until a person earns it, you don't have, just because respect doesn't mean that it's, it's an all-out thing, but it's, you're expecting them as a tzal malokim. They're a piece of Hashem. I respect what you stand for and who you are, but at the same time, respect them doesn't mean to go all in and be naive. Okay? Interesting. Okay. And so, all right. Any other thoughts on, on being nervous around a person who's careful around holiness more than the holiness itself? Very interesting. Um.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Correct.
0: Yeah. These are these are. We're going to go. We're going through thirteen notes that he that he wrote to himself about the advice for life.
1: Yeah,
0: and and noticing since Chazal teach us. Hazal do say, and perhaps this is how I'm taking what he wants to teach himself and remind himself, is that um, there's a point within being one with Hashem where you can't just put everything on Hashem. You can't just, you a person cannot just say Hashem will take care of it. You've got to take responsibility on your health. That is what Hashem told us we need to do in our relationship. This is this I'm leaving to you. If your mazel and the family and the outside circumstances, Hashem says, I'm going to throw that at you give you those tests, that's really out of your control. But to take care of your own health and safety in a natural way, that's your responsibility, you need to do that. That's it. Yeah. good right, right, very good you know, uh, the Gemara tells us about Hillel Hillel, when, when he was going to the bathhouse one of his told me, the asked, say, Rebbe, where are you going? he says, I'm going I'm going to wash off the statue of Hashem because since each person's made in the image of God, he says, by me taking care of my hygiene I'm doing a mitzvah I'm taking care of Hashem's creation so whenever we shower, we're doing a mitzvah, right? It's, it's Hashem's body. We say our neshama is deposited by us, our bodies are deposited by us. So everything we do is is a mitzvah. It's you know when a person brushes their teeth, flosses their teeth, right? <laughs>
1: um,
0: showers you know. So when we take care of our hygiene, it's it's a mitzvah. Hashem commands us. This is this is something. Uh, this is something we we need to do, and maybe one of the. Only things that's really in our hands, outside of our choice, is uh, you know this yeah yeah. It says be more nervous or be nervous around holy people who who are in awe or in fear of holiness, as opposed to the holiness itself. Das Torah? Do yeah. you understand what Torah wants? Perhaps. He doesn't go so far to say that. Because I, I, I'm i going to suggest, and I don't know if this is true, perhaps you can be in this category and not really have so much Torah knowledge. I would venture to say that most of our great-great-grandparents, who well, let's assume they lived late 1700s, early 1800s, okay? they May not have. I I would be confident to say they probably did not have as much Torah information as any of us have. They didn't have the printing press. They didn't have chumashim printed out, art Scrolls, sidurim. But they, they feared holy things. They were Yidden, right? They were they were, you know, they were real Yidden. And um, you know, it's uh, you know, so I don't know. Does it mean that they had das Torah? I don't know. They were certainly in tune with living a life with Hakadosh Baruch. Okay, let's get on to our parsha. Parsha Yehi. and that, that conversation is a very interesting uh, segue into our parsha, uh, talking about life. And here we go. Parsha is Va'yechi begins. Last parsha again in the book of Rishon Va'yechi. Yaakov, Yaakov lived in the lands of Egypt. Shva is for seventeen years. Okay? A little bit of history. Yaakov passes away at the age of 147, and the last 17 years of his life, he lived in Egypt. So he went down to Egypt at the age of 130. Now it says, Vayechi Yaakov, Yaakov lived. Commentators let us know, why doesn't it just say Yaakov was in the land of Egypt for 17 years before he died? Letting us know that he lived. He lived. Was, it was the last 17 years of his life but he was doing whatever he can to live life to its fullest that's what Yaakov was doing now interestingly Rabbi Laser sarutskin. there's a set of chumashim we have here on the shelf called Znaim Letor beautiful set of chumash, it's only in Hebrew I don't know if they came out with it in English um, a lot of beautiful explanations there's also, it also leads you to all the gemaras where you can find these listed. it's a great cheat it's a great cheat sheet for rabbis you want to know, you know, if you are going to puzzle, and uh, you want to know where all the Gemaras talk about it, so you, you, you know where to, you know, yank it off the shelf, all right, there's this, this, I can quote eight Gemaras and sound smart. You know, now, we're, now we're, we're good to go. You have to know where the cheat sheets are.
1: Um,
0: so, Liza Sorotskin points out that there's two parashios in the Torah that are called life. Vayechi, the life of Yaakov, and Sar. The life of Sarah. There's two parshos that have life. And he points out, guess what? They don't talk about the person's life. They talk about their death. (laughs) right? Chayi, Sarah, these were the years of Sarah's life, and Sarah passed away. And these were the years of Yaakov's life, and Yaakov passed away. Why specifically do the two parshos that have the word life in it refer to death? That's his question. And he makes an amazing, amazing point. He says, you know what the Torah is teaching me? The Torah is teaching me that in the life of a Jew, there's no such thing as death. There's life in two different rooms. And when we look at the lives of our matriarchs, specifically Sarah, and patriarchs, specifically Yaakov, us, a sages teacher, he never died because he was able to fuse his his um, soul with his body so it all, it's an amazing a piece of chazal but be it as it may they, they never died they went from living here to vayichi, to living somewhere else that's all that happened and interestingly we've spoken this um, those who I've been to learn Perkei us with we've mentioned a number of times that the Hebrew word for death actually is nifter what does nifter mean? Nifter means Jewish concept, right? To pass, to pass. What do you mean to pass? What, is, what does it mean by I passed on? What it means is I passed from one place and went to another place. That's the, yeah? You you, it's a total change of address. With a new birthday. A new birthday. Um according, So interestingly, <laughs> uh, according to, I'm trying to remember where I saw this parable, I've shared it a um, number of times. Um, according it's not the, for, for whatever reason I think it's the Malbum, but I may be wrong I need to look this up again in my notes Malbum brings a parable says there's two says there's twins inside of a mother's womb and they're having a theological debate one twin says listen brother I mean enjoy the food we're getting in here because Out there, it's done. It's over. The other brother says, no, I'm telling you, there's a whole world out there. It's amazing. There's beaches. There's palm trees. There's nice people. There's good food. The colors. It's amazing. They're sitting inside the sack inside the mother. And brother number one is like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I ain't believing it till I see it. I'm telling you, it's this nine months, and we're done. The other one's like, no, and that's the fighting for nine months. Okay? Finally, one day, all of a sudden, there's a little bit of uh, muscle contraction, and brother, no- and brother number two pops out. <laughs> and brother number one is inside, and he hears screams. And he's like, oh, man, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I told him. I told him he should just, like, relax over here. You know what I mean? Like, uh, what, doesn't, says, what doesn't he understand? that the shouts on the other side are shouts of Mazel A baby was just born into this beautiful world. That's the noise that he heard. What's the parable? The same thing is true with this world and the next world. Right, So It's just us, just here, just there, just there. And people who know say, I'm telling you, there's another room we live in that's magical, incredible, and Person moves on to the next world, and everybody left here is like, Oh man, oh man, <laughs> you know, like God. Oh, eh. And that person they hear shouts of Mazelta, yeah, their parents are coming to greet them, grandparents, uncle, whoever, whoever went before them is there shouting Mazel Tov. It's, a, it's, a, it's the same thing, and, and uh, you know, um, some of us will have heard this from you a number of times. It's a, it's a beautiful thought, I think about this all the time. Um, that my father. As a friend of the Bracha shared with me, um, after he he had a stroke, and I was walking to show with him, and he was musing, he was musing, and he says, "I don't understand. I'm 18. Why doesn't my hand work the way it used to?" he was musing, you know. Why is it? And I was like, "I don't know, Todd." Like. <laughs> If you're 18, I hear your question. You know, <laughs> you know, what, what's the deal? He says, I'll tell you, he says, I'll tell you the reason. He says, because only things that end age. Age is when you go from one stage to another stage. So things that don't last age. He says, My body's not gonna last, so it ages. Mm-hmm. But I'm stuck inside this. I'm still eighteen. That's how I can be 18, and my body's just not moving as fast. Because we don't really die. We don't age. Who we really are, our bodies age, because our bodies aren't here forever. But we who are here forever, just with a change of address, after whatever allotted time we have, we're 18 in the body of a 50, 60, 70, 90, 100, 110, 120 year old. And we're sitting here thinking like, what happened? And the answer is nothing. That's why we—that's why we still feel vibrant because we re- there's no point on aging. Age doesn't mean anything because we really, as a neshama, we're a piece of Hashem. We can't end. We can't die. We're we're a chelak <laughs> mal. We're we're uh, we're you know part of godliness. And this says of Zalman Sirotskin, beautiful thought, is why the partials of death are called life to teach us that a neshama is always alive. It's always around. And it's just a matter of what, uh, what address we're in. It's Beautiful idea. Song, it's a good song? What's the song? Oh. I mean, coming down here. I mean, to Wait, come down know, to do this world. Yeah. About coming down to this world.
1: About
0: the two... Uh, things in the in the line. Line. Well, he has the neshama nish- sh- talking to the Malach. He doesn't want to come down, and the Malach shows him all the good he could do. Right? right? Yeah. Okay. So... Um, again, so Yaakov lived in Egypt for 17 years. Now listen to this, Pasuk verse 2. The days of Yaakov's life came close to die. Fascinating expression. This is the second Pasuk of the Parsha. The, day, the, the days of Yisrael came close to die. So he calls this on Yosef and he says, please do me a favor, I don't want to be buried in the shrine. Let's focus on these words for a moment. The days of Yisrael came close to die. What does it mean they what does it mean they came together? So there's uh, I'll introduce this with a beautiful, well known poem um, from a poet by the name of Linda Ellis called The Dash. Many of you are probably familiar with it, um, where she speaks about um, that when you go to a cemetery so you have the birth year and the year of, of nifter the year of death right year of passing and what's in between a dash what's the most important thing the dash right the dash is that's all the time that's the life the dash is all about the life so she writes like this she says just read this through quickly it's not that long I read of a man who stood, to, who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates from beginning to end. He noted, first came the date of birth, and spoke of the following date with tears, but he said what matters most was the dash between those years, because that dash represents all the time that she spent on earth, and now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. That's the what a beautiful introduction. See, here's the poem. It matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you would like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we would just slow down enough to consider what is true and real and always try to understand the way people feel less quick to anger, show appreciation more, love the people in our lives like we have never loved before if we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile remember this special dash might only last a little while so when your eulogy is being read and your life's actions are rehashed, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash, that's, uh, that's the uh, it's a beautiful poem right, the beautiful thing and it's, um, it's I believe this poem on the explains this Pasuk and I have pro- uh, I'm going to prove it uh, not for myself but from the, what Chazal teaches us Chazal say the following when a person passes so the days that we utilize join us in front of Hashem so you can ask somebody who lived till 120 and they come up to Hashem and they are three days old because they spent three days Of time appropriately or productively, and you could have somebody who passed away young, 18 years old, and they're 18 years old when they stand up in front of the heavenly court because they used their time productively. Okay, they were kind, they were nice, they brought good values, whatever. But Yikru Hu Yeme Lomos means that all of the days. Of Yaakov's life joined him in front of the heavenly court. A person's days accompany us; our time accompanies us um, on that day. Okay, so that's what it means outside of context. In context, it means the days were coming close. It means he realized that his, you know, his time living at this address in this world was um, coming close for his passing. So what does he do? By Yikril of Yosef, he calls his son Yosef. By Yomar, and he says to Yosef, Do me a favor, place your hand under my thigh, make an oath, do for me, do not bury me in Egypt. But why did he call Yosef? Says Rashi, Why did he ask Yosef to bury him in, in the Mara in Samach the Why doesn't he ask his other kids? Yosef's number 11 out of 12. Right? So we'll say, well, what type of question is that? He's the leader of Egypt. He can do what he wants. Right? Rashi says that that's the right answer. But there's a message in that. And here's the message in that. It's not appropriate by Hashem's standards, which decides appropriateness. Okay? It's not appropriate to ask people for favors that they are not in position to follow through ever been asked to do something that was a totally inappropriate request? Yeah. It's like, why? why? A- and now I'm putting into an uncomfortable position to have mm-hmm. to either say no or whatever. The Torah is telling me, Rashi points this out, let me show you how it is You can ask favors of people, you can ask, but it's make sure that if you ever make a request, you're not asking people to do something that's not fair to ask them to do.
1: They're not capable of doing
0: it. They're not capable of doing it. That means it's not fair. Right? It's not fair. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a fair place to, to, to put someone there. That's, that's what Rashi says. Now, Rav Itzala of says the following. It makes a beautiful point. I just came across this a few days ago. and I was like, why didn't I ever catch that? Stunning. He adds on to Rashi. And he says, think about it. What's going to be Yaakov's request? To be buried in the Mara Samachitevah there with the couples. Adam and Chava. Right? Adam and Eve are buried there. Avram and Sarah. Yitzvah and Rivka. Leah is already buried there. And Yaakov asking to be buried there. Usually, where does a child bury a parent? If I'm, if I'm a child and my mother passed away and now my father passes away, where am I naturally going to want my father to be buried near my mother? That's natural. Now, Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Yosef's number 11 out of 12. But he's the first brother who can throw a fuss. Because every other brother would naturally take Yaakov to the land of Canaan because that's where their mother was buried. Okay? Now, Leah had six sons. So, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehudi, and Zebulun, right? They're all going to naturally be. Thanap and Usher, those four who were the sons of Bil and Zopa, they understood, you know, that even the Torah, they kind of like were the secondary wives, but Leah and Rach were the primary wives. So yeah, says Vinzul Petersburg he says, notice that Yaakov's understanding of the situation. Not only does he ask Yosef because Yosef had the ability, but he spoke to the one who may not be in agreement with that decision. Which is an important message in life. That when you're going to speak and you want to give over a message and create something, make sure you go to the proper place for that. As a, in a humorous way. Funny or not funny. It's only humorous because it's, it's, it's not officially true. Okay? But there's a chasidish Rebbe who passed away. And his two sons get into a fight. Who should be the next rebel? Both of them decide, oh, I should be the next rebel. And everyone's got thousands of chassidim Taking their sides Big eh, Okay. Finally this goes on for three years One day there's a knock on the, on the door And brother number two opens the door Brother number one standing there And brother number one says My dear brother Machlick is over We can have Shalom What happened? What happened? is I'm so happy Because last night, Dad came to me in a dream. And he said, I should be the Rebbe. You hear this? Dad told me. Brother number two looks at me and says, listen, sweetie pie. If Dad wanted you to be the Rebbe, he would come to me in a dream. He would tell me that you should be the Rebbe. I'm coming to you in a dream. (laughs) Right? You have to know know how, how to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And By the way, this thought process is the difference between Judaism and every other religion. It's fascinating. There's a book, which I came across this when it was published in the year 2000. I'm sure it's more updated. There's a book called The McMillan Reference on World Religions put out by Christian missionaries. In the year 2000, they listed over 4,000 religions in the world. Uh, it's a whole list of, of various religions. And in there, this book, um, they write that the, that the only religion in the world that claims that Hashem appeared to them as a nation, as a people is the Jewish the Judaism. Right? Even when God changed his mind, which is their claim, the, the Muslims and Christians believe in Harsina. unfortunately more than some of our Jewish brothers and sisters. They believe in Harsina because it's a historical event. Three million people witnessed it. You can't say it didn't happen. They just say later on, there were sins and God changed his mind. And then Hashem appeared to some individuals. Right? Either one person, up to five people. You can't really make it a start of false claim with more than a small group. It's not it's not possible the claim uh doesn't take off because it won't take off the ground. People just say, No, Hashem never appeared to me. Right. Which is interesting. The Torah, Hashem says, You saw me appear to all of you and we all accepted it, right? <laughs> we're all like, Oh yeah, yeah. And and uh as I think, because I've left, was speaking about this. This is where I heard this from. He says, Jews have been accused of being a lot of things. One of them is, one of the things we have not been accused of is being stupid, right? He's like, we're not going to take a Torah that says, I've come to you and appear to you. They're like, yeah, that happened. We're not going to do that. <laughs> you know, you know it, it's not going so to this, this concept is of Yaakov going to Yosef in particular is a very... Not only Jewish, a very important path that we need to think about when we want things to get done is not to take not always take the easiest path, but to take the path that smartest. Because the easiest thing for Yaakov to do is just go to the older brothers, and they're naturally going to want to do bring them Mars and fail. That's their that's their nature. But that could lead to a machlokov. So instead, Yaakov circumvents all this with his wisdom, and instead, he goes, uh, he goes straight to Yosef. Okay? So so Yisrael's days are coming together, and he says, please do kindness for me. What does he ask for? I'll not take Varini b'nitzrayim. And I need, a, I need help over here. He says, please don't bury me in Egypt. Why doesn't he want to be buried in Egypt? Says Rashi. Three reasons. Reason number one is Because the earth in Egypt is going to turn to lice. He knew with prophecy, going to turn to lice by the third plague. And I don't want my body there when the land is turned to lice. I don't understand that. I don't get it. I need help. I have two big questions on this. First of all, so what? So what? You're not there anyway whatever that was, that, was, that was my temporary suitcase and that, now the earth is, it's going to be years later the, come on number one question number two might even be a better question there was no lice in the city of Goshen so ask be buried in Goshen if you're nervous about the lice not all of Egypt is going to have lice the area where the Jews lived there was no lice That's question number two okay I want to give you give the other two reasons, and then I need help if anybody has thoughts on number one. The other two I get. Number one is because of the less. Number two is, and this is, by the way, this Rashi, according to Gomorrah, is the source for this, of being buried inside the land of Eretz Yisrael. He says, The other reason why I want to be buried in Israel is because when it comes the time for Tchias Mesim, when the Olam Haba and Olam Haza are going to fuse together and people are going to come back to life, everybody's going to come back to life in the land of Israel. And anybody buried outside the land of Israel, will uh, roll in underground tunnels. So it's going to take longer. It'll take longer. <laughs> he wants to, yeah, he wants to be able to be, to be back in Eretz Yisrael faster. You know? So he doesn't want to have to go through that ordeal. He says, therefore, I want to be buried, um, I want to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. My parents, by the way, wanted to be buried. They wanted to live in Eretz Yisrael. They wanted to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. And he found in my mother's pocketbook all the pros and cons of uh, of where to, and ultimately she decided, my parents decided to be buried in Baltimore because Rabbi Hopfer, um, who they went to for a fsak, he's a relative of the Yakusha community of Glen Avenue in mm-hmm. Baltimore, he told my parents, he said, the last chesed you can do for your family is not make them schlep to Eretz Yashau under Yerchik. That was, <laughs> that was the thing. He said, do chesed for your family. Said, all right, you, you know, you'll be born again a few minutes later. Like, you know, he said, you can do chesed Cuss it to your family. Okay, fine. So, um, so he's, that's reason number two. Okay. And reason number three is, the Shaloya Sunni Mitzrayim of I don't want the Egyptians turning me into a pagan worship. Now, the reason for this was that, um, which actually answers question number two about Goshen. The second two reasons knock off both of my questions. Right, because in the second two questions you could say, okay, she wants to you know, the wants to just be mm-hmm. buried there, to have the Shias there. And over here as well, Yaakov Avinu, when he came down to Egypt, if we recall, there was a dream of seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Yaakov came down after two years of famine and the famine stopped. Now all of Egypt knew there was supposed to be seven years. So they credited him with stopping the famine, his presence in the land. So Yaakov was concerned that once he's buried, they're going to start coming to his tomb and say that really it's not Hashem, really it's Yaakov Aviv. Now this logic also to keep this she'er going is the reason why he wouldn't do it in Goshen. Because imagine if Yaakov would be buried in Goshen and there was no lice in Goshen, what are the Egyptians going to say? It's not God, it's the merit of this human being being buried there that's protecting the whole city. So those, you know, Yaakov wanted to get around any potential lack of Kiddush Hashem, right? Well, again, thinking ahead, making sure that uh, things everything falls into place. But the first reason I really don't have a, uh, a good shot of, you know, that the, you know, the earth is going to turn to lice. And it's going to be, it's gonna be a, a long time later. And like, I'm not sure, uh, I, I haven't seen yet, Hashem, I'll keep studying this, but if anybody has a thought about this uh, lice issue, What's the big deal? Yeah,
1: the That's why and all
0: the part of the So I get that, but then it's having to do with the lights it should have to do with the land of Israel it should have to do with, well okay but over here Rashi says because of that plague so just Mm -hmm. a uh, pretty uh, interesting Rashi Okay. Okay. it says Yaakov says they're going to be around they're going to be around my body He's not even concerned that they're going to actually do anything to him. He's concerned that they're going to be around him. You know, it's their bodies stay fresh. Right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Interesting. Okay, I don't want to end this year with that. That's a little too, little too, uh, you know, too too heavy for me. So I'll end with one more vart a little bit later, a little bit later on the Parsha, but just a a beautiful idea and uh, uh, an important message from our Parsha, which is that this Parsha gives us the blessings that was passing away. He gives the blessings to all of the tribes. Okay, He also elevates Ephraim and Menashe. Ephraim Menashe, which are the sons of Yosef, and he gives them a blessing. Yisimcha le'kid Ephraim What was so special about Ephraim and Menashe? So one reason given is that usually there's, it's what we call Yeridas Hadolos. Usually there's... Um, as the generations move, there's a, a loss of ethics and values, and that's called Yerida Siddur. Ephraim and Menashe in the culture of Egypt, actually elevated themselves to the level of the previous generation. They became tribes. Okay, This is one message why, why people give their children a blessing, referring to Ephraim and Menashe, because the, the thought process behind it is that you should keep the values of the previous generation, not get turned away. However, there's a a, a beautiful thought by the Bnei Yisoschar, who says says that um, one of the messages in this bracha is that we know that the story where Yaakov switched his hands, right? The young, he put the right hand on the younger one and the left hand on, on the older one. And he points out, he says, that when Yaakov did this, Yosef said to his father, you know, your hand's on the wrong head. you got to switch your hands. But from the kids themselves, you don't hear a not You'd think, the older one's like, yeah, it's not fair. Right? It's not fair. I'm all right. got the right hand. And even after Yaakov explains himself that the younger one's going to be greater than the older one, which is why he changed his hand, you still don't hear a peep. they still, they're both standing They say, listen, whatever my lot is, whatever blessing I get, this is... Um, you know, this is what Hashem, this is where Hashem wants me to be and Hashem wants me to do. And where did they get, where did they learn this? Kids don't just come on this. Where did they get this from? They got it from Yosef. How so? Because we went into last week's parable. Yosef says, I am, I am Yosef, your brother. Even though you treated me wrong and I've been hurt, I still consider myself to be your brother. And Hashem sent me down here to be the ruler of Egypt. Everything is, you know, my Amunah, everything is. Um, everything is from HaKadosh Baruch and it doesn't matter. So what's the message? What message did the children take in? And what's the message the Torah is stressing to us? That Yosef was hurt by the brothers. Big time. Okay? These two brothers are being hurt, so to speak, in quotations, by Yaakov switching in, at least the older ones. Okay? But what happens? The Torah is teaching us a very important message, which is, we'll end with this, treat everyone around us with our ethics and not theirs. Very often in life, we're put into situations where people who are not to our standards of morals, needos, they do things to us. And Hashem put into our nature to respond in kind. And the Torah is letting us know the way to treat people, from Yosef and from these boys. Important message. Treat people with our ethics as opposed to lowering ourselves to treat them with their ethics. We'll hold it here for today. M'sha'kaich.